podcast promoting female musicians and artists. I am really happy to say that I am joined today by returning guest, Sydney musician Darby. Darby, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Oh, thanks for having me again. I loved my last experience. It was great to have you. Well, I hope we repeat it again today. And you know, since we last spoke, a lot has happened. Um, we last spoke at the end of 2019, but in September 2020, you released your album Suburbia, mm-hmm. and it was based on your experiences traveling alone and kind of transitioning back into normal life. And before you released it, when we were talking last time, you said that you had actually written about 70 songs during these travels and transitioning back. So I'm mm-hmm. interested to hear about the process of how you condensed all of that material down into one album. It took a long time, actually. Um, well, the songs, like when I was traveling, I wrote like just notebooks full. They weren't really songs. They were like poems or just sort of journaling, I guess. And um, I had some certain phrases, like I had titles like Pink Buttercream and Cologne was coming down from the moon. And I knew that I wanted those to be songs. So then when I got home, I sort of spent three months living in Newcastle with my dad sort of going through these journals and writing um, music to the poems that I'd written Um, and making you know trying to access those like moments and stories that I'd experienced in Europe and I think it's um, like maybe the only body of work that I've recorded that's been not really about like romance (laughs) it's more about like me like just self-discovery or something or other other things okay that were interesting me at the time like just being around different surroundings so you must have had so much journaling and poetry written down during your travels yeah like I was just constantly doing it because I didn't have usually the way I would um sort of process seeing or experiencing new things or I don't know just processing things in general is by writing songs and with a guitar but I didn't bring an instrument with me um so I found myself just wanting to write all the time instead Mm -hmm. Um, so how was the process of actually because I mean you had so much that you had to condense right down for the tracks that did make it to the final album how did you select which ones were the ones that were most important well, it wasn't, I guess it wasn't really like I'd had like finished all like, you know, like a full list of finished songs. It was more the fact of 70 like really strong ideas and most of them were formed, but sometimes like three or four of of those demos were actually one song. Like they all sounded kind of similar. And so yeah. I was like, okay, well, I'm obviously trying to get something out here. Like they're all sort of sounding like siblings of each other. Okay. <laughs> then I would, I would be like, all right, so what's – I don't really like any of these enough to make them a song. And so like that's what happened with Russian Girls. I had like three ideas that sounded a bit like that. Um, and then I actually sort of took a Leonard Cohen approach and sat in my 
grandma's living room for eight hours <laughs> trying to figure out which uh, which like song is those three songs together. Okay. So I actually sort of went to work with that one. Um, just a simple process of choosing the favourite sibling, I guess. Well, yeah, I just wanted, I really wanted songs that I was really, um, like I felt good about and a lot of them were like, they were okay, but they weren't really um, what I quite wanted to say sort of thing. Like there something was uh, I needed to make it more clear, so I needed to spend more time on, on certain ones. Okay, so that was um, released last year, but we should also talk about um, another project that you were involved with releasing music last year. Um, so during the lockdown, you started a new project with um, Pan Pacific Grand Prix, Mm-hmm. Um, you released uh, kind of like a split album called Undone Like a Satin Ribbon Pulled Once Gently. Yeah. And we are actually joined now by Ross, uh, who is Pan Pacific uh, Grand Prix. Ross, welcome to the show as well. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> it's good to have you here to chat about this collaboration. Very- now, I've heard of a, like a split seven-inch before, but not a split album. So I'm interested to hear how did this idea evolve and how did it sort of come from the lockdown situation? I suppose we were both writing, you were writing songs at the time. Ross had like a big list of songs and I was writing as well songs that I didn't necessarily want to put on an album of my own, but I, I knew that being in lockdown meant that I needed a project. <laughs> I think I think I'm the same too. Like I think the, the songs that I was writing weren't necessarily going to be for the next Pan Pacific Grand Prix record either. They were kind of more folk and... Yeah, a bit chill, and they they just sort of seem to link up. Now that you're saying it, like split album, maybe that's not potentially like the best way to describe it. Maybe it's more of a collaborative album, and we should have just made like our own band name or something and done it together. But we felt no. that they were separate enough to join. I don't really know. No, I think <laughs> I think we we didn't we didn't want to make like a new project. It was yeah. it was the collaborate. It was a split effort. You know, like I I wrote half the songs, Ross wrote the other half. And so we played on each other's mm. songs and recorded together and like bounced ideas off each other and it was the whole process we did together because I think we really needed something to work on in that time. And it was obviously like I don't know what I would have done without that album. <laughs> like it really made me happy making that music. Yeah, okay, it definitely gave us something to do while we were meant to be, you know, like literally locked in, you know, in, everyone will remember that, like having to stay home. So we were just like writing stuff and sending, to, sending things to each other, you know, via email or whatever. And then when there was like one person allowed over to your house, like, you know, I'd come over to, to, to Beck's house and, and do some stuff and then I'd like go again and then, you know, it was very um, isolated, but when we could be together, we, we did good. Mm. Yeah. It seems as though most of the tracks has this kind of like one of you takes the lead for the vocals. So it's sort of like mm. half half of each is sort of leading a song. But were there any tracks that were written completely collaboratively? No. I, I find it really hard to write with other people. <laughs> We've actually so, no, no. We 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 worked a lot on the production together. I think like Ross produced Miss Tints, yeah, and um, played the drums and yeah. you know like he's got more of a country, uh, like 
vibe than me maybe like he's better at that sort of genre and I think it really suited that song for him to like take the lead with producing it and and and, like a lot of them actually well similarly like um um Dubs produced a couple of the ones that I wrote on there so there was collaboration in like the arrangements and the production of it but as far as the songwriting goes no they were very much our own songs like I don't think either of us messed with much of what each of us was saying um Mm, which is good I think maybe we we just wanted to make it yeah we just wanted to make an album together like hey Mm. I'm doing this I want to do a project you want to do it with me like yeah cool I've got six songs have you got six no write some more (laughs) like let's do it half and half like even to the point where there's a track in the middle of the album which is like a um really sort of downbeat kind of I don't know what you'd call it it's an intermission oh the isolation yeah it's called isolation zone um and it was like kind of like not really a fully fledged song in the the like as far as the rest of the tracks go um it was kind of more this idea that the dubs had and then um we'd like already uploaded the the whole album to Bandcamp, and we were listening back to it at like midnight um and then i just grabbed the microphone and started like talking over this one song and then we like went back into our recording stuff and like actually redid it mm, that's like, that's a collaborative that's one. maybe the that's mo- the only most a collaborative one. one that we did yeah and actually your vote your speaking in that track makes the song like yeah. it's the yeah well you know. welcome to our record like, yeah <laughs> that's probably the most collaborative we got i think which was you know totally off the cuff and last minute <laughs> right yeah. well you mentioned previously that you were kind of playing the instruments on each other's tracks though so mm. how logistically if you were like isolated because of lockdown how do did you do the recordings remotely or were you actually in the same room well i living at alpha i've got like a drum kit here in a bass and i think i played i borrowed ross's bass mm-hmm. for a lot of it and then i and then ross would like send me stems and and we would do things at each other's house like separately at our at our houses and send the stems and then when we were allowed to have a person over we ross came over and played the drums and because i think there was that point where it was like okay you can have one person over to your house but it has to be like your family member or like your partner or whatever so that's finally when we were kind of like cool like we can at least try and do something um yeah. together in the same room but i think um, like how like in terms of like how many i don't know like, i don't know not, not, not that heaps. not that many i reckon maybe like five sessions or something not even to maybe like do together yeah the rest of it was right. totally like yeah in ping-ponging in our own houses <laughs> this is an interesting like dealing with the new problems and new logistics that mm. the world was faced with <laughs> yeah um i think we should take a track the song that i wanted to listen to from the album um was called miss tints so let's listen to that song now Woo-hoo. spent time on me Three years getting round my inner feet I 
The track we just heard was called Miss Tints from the split record from Derby and Pan Pacific Grand Prix. Now, uh, you have, uh, you're playing a gig tomorrow, which is actually yesterday when the podcast gets released, but it's at the um, Botany View Hotel. Yes. I was at the Botany View Hotel last weekend. It was packed. Yeah, man. Um, was it a Sunday? It was a, no, Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And it hit capacity wow. and it was wild. Wow. And I'm I'm interested to hear about how your experience for both of you has been going to gigs in 2021 as things kind of start to open up a bit. I think when we first, like when we did the album launch and that was like so awesome and exciting and strange at the same time because we had two um, sessions, like we had to play twice, um, which I've never done before in one night. And everyone... But the the whole vibe was completely different, I feel, because everyone had to sit down. So it was also really good um, to be, like, launching that album and then to have everyone actually really listening because they hadn't been to a show in so long. So that was really cool. Um, but then playing, like, two sets in one night was a bit hectic, <laughs> like a bit exhausting. It's like the Beatles. Yeah. But also, <laughs> also, like, I really preferred the second set and I'm really glad that I got to give it another crack because I was so nervous because we hadn't played in six months. Um, and then, like, going to shows, I just feel that even me as a punter is just more appreciative of the of the venue and the music and buying tickets and, you know, like, locking things in and being more, I don't know, just more organised with shows. Like, I... I think all of us now are like buying tickets ahead of the date and not just like rocking up and hoping to get in or the whole sort of things changed in that's, a good way. Yeah, I think that's there's if there's two things that I hope will continue um after the whole sit down and you have to buy tickets thing is that um a people keep paying to see live music, that would be great. You know, there was a whole I don't want to go on a rant about the lockout laws or whatever, but, you know, there was a whole thing after the lockout laws and a bunch of music moved to the inner West where every single pub really stepped up their game and they were having gigs, um, which was so, so, so good, but they all became free, which is great um, for, I guess, bands to play. But I think that sort of filtered through to an idea that maybe that shows aren't worth something. And I think during the lockdown, it sort of forced people to pay for shows again. I, I think that I really like the idea that um, sort of you're getting, you sort of, you should be paying to see live music. I think, I think it's really worth it. And I think it really mm. places a value on, on people's sort of efforts to rehearse and to all of that. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's put, it's put the value back on the, on the music. I think it's a good thing. Like when, Even yeah. for musicians as well, like for, for bands and artists and not just people that don't play music but yeah I think it's definitely like upped the ante in terms of like oh yeah like we're going to a thing and we have tickets and we're gonna go and listen and we're gonna go as opposed to like yeah we'll probably go to that it's free or something else came up maybe I won't go and it's not just in the background it's more forefront also when I was a lad (laughs) every show was money whether it was 10 bucks or 15 bucks, but yeah, every yeah. single show I went to. But yeah, but um, even not just asking for door you know, spots anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't even That's want to thing. ask. I don't want to ask for a door spot. I'd rather pay. 
mm. because I don't know, everything's just shifted and yeah. Well, that, that, and the fact that I think for some reason, when everybody had to sit down and listen to music, people were quiet and they actually mm. listened to the band. I'm not sure what the difference is between sitting down and standing up <laughs> means you talk to everybody around you. That was like, that was like a super bizarre thing. Mm. But it's, it's so markedly different. If you put a, a room full of seated people, they will be quiet when the bands are on. Mm. Um, so, yeah, they're the two things that I hope, I hope continue. I hope now that if when, when standing comes back and we can go to shows, people will stand and, and, and just, like, you know, like, you know, watch the bands and kind of be quiet. I think it's – I saw some beautiful shows that were really, really pin-drop silent. Um, and I, I hope that yeah goes through as well. I think it's, it's an interesting like yeah. psychological experiment. It, it totally sort of is. it reminds me like this is a bad comparison, but it sort of reminds me of being in school assembly. It's this thing about like the hierarchy and the system of like being okay. You sit in your chairs and you listen. <laughs> it takes Ooh. me back to that, like in a like subconsciously. Well, as opposed to like if you're just standing, you're sort of like milling around. Yeah, like you sit, you have a purpose. To yeah. s- when you sit down, there's a purpose for it usually. Like if you sit down at a table and you're sharing something with people, with a meal or whatever, you sit down. And right. Well, as in like, it's, yeah, it's about, that makes sense. It's about slowing down as well. So when you're seated, you're slow. You're like, in, you're more engaged and you're, yeah, 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 totally. you know, focused. Well, I guess like also if you've got a seat, it's like we've made the trouble to sort of like afford you your own chair (laughs) so maybe there's a bit more reverence for like what's going on yeah i think yeah there's a lot of things going on there yeah i think that i mean now we've kind of transitioned from chairs to no chairs yeah Uh, the gig that i was at at the botany view hotel it wasn't seated it was it was raucous to be honest (laughs) and i actually found it a bit overwhelming yeah (laughs) something that would have been so normal to me like two years ago Mm. being on a Saturday night in a pub at a gig. Mm. Yeah. Um, I had this weird, like, it's hard to describe. I don't know. I kind of felt like I shouldn't be here because there's, there's too many people. It's too crowded. Mm-hmm. What if someone's sick? Am I sick? Uh, how is it from your perspective uh, in that environment playing where you're playing to to this chaos? Is it is it weird or different to compared to before COVID? I feel like I haven't had the chance to play Chaos yet, but I'm really looking forward right. to it. But I've, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, was gonna say, I haven't played to anybody standing up. We haven't either. really played. I've only Tomorrow played one. yesterday. Like one band. <laughs> the last band show we played was at the Marlborough and everyone was still seated there, I think. Right. Um, but yeah, true. The one show that I went to recently at Highway Bar and, and more, everyone was standing and it was definitely like, no f's given like people everywhere like it and i also felt a bit anxious like i it wasn't the same as you know can't possibly be the same as going to a show with that many people before covid you're Mm. obviously like taking in all the things and social distancing and even though there's no cases or whatever it still makes you anxious i think like i remember going to a coffee shop in newtown with my sister and People were just standing outside the coffee shop waiting, um, but there were so many people, and I remember both of us being like, "Oh, like I can't deal," <laughs> and we had to leave because <laughs> we got too overwhelmed. And yeah. this was outside, and we, then we were both like, "This is weird." <laughs> 
Yeah. We're reacting like this. But I think it's still like it's like the invisible threat, right? Yeah. And it's it's probably fine, mm-hmm. but there's a chance it's not. Yeah, it's it's definitely probably fine, but also well, all this other weird shit's going on that totally. you can't see. Well, and... Also that condition you talk about, like we we all got used to over the last year, like, you know, keeping trying to keep two meters between you and the next person unless you knew them really well and like being okay with like that sort of space like you know people would like cross the road or you know whatever to like get away from you yeah <laughs> um and then all of a sudden you throw it all back yeah of, like we're standing like nothing happened now. it's like it's kind of mm. it's that's got to be overwhelming to your at least your sense of um I don't know, personal space or something. Space, yeah. Even, it, even right? it, like, regardless of I the, think a lot of people yeah. would be experiencing that kind of anxiety, whether they show it or not. I think it's definitely going to – it's going to be interesting to see what sorts of theses come out of this. <laughs> like, yeah. Over time, psychologically, for people. But I guess my, my point would be that we had the Spanish flu in 1918, right? Yeah. And it was, like, crazy then. Mm. but we didn't know anything about that yeah so it will yeah. Yeah, we can't eventually do... yeah but uh, how long will it linger I guess. well we're lucky enough to have the internet and you know science in, in sure time, but like far out can't even imagine what that would have been hectic like no one mm. knowing how these things like yeah imagine having covid but not having covid tests yeah, or like not hearing about it as well, and then just like getting it and dying. Like, right. well, <laughs> like that's it too, not knowing yeah. that it's even in, like out there. The rate of like communication between things is pretty instantaneous now. So that mm-hmm. would be. Yeah. The track that we heard was called Miss Tints. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and I sort of cho- I chose that for a bit of a reason because last time we spoke, um, you mentioned that you were planning to do some more painting. So I was oh. wondering, have you been painting during COVID? Yeah, I did paint a lot actually. I in twenty twenty I painted a lot. And then I had a bit of a break. When I guess when things opened up I stopped. Um, but was sort of drawing more. Um but I'm still yeah, I'm still painting now, but not, not as much. I sort of went back into music land and I find it hard to do both. Um, okay. But I am entering the Archibald this year. Oh really? That's something. That's fun. Was that something that you did during the lockdown or you were just yet to do that? Well, I've been thinking about it for a year, thinking about it for a year, like who I want to paint. Um, Fran, you know Fran. Fran yes, Fran. I was going to mention before Fran uh, talking about listening audiences. Yeah, so I'm going to, I'm painting her. Um, so I've actually had a sitting with her and I've, um, I've done the sketch work for what I want it to look like, but I haven't. I've got like 20 days left to actually like pump okay. out this painting because I, I, I find it hard to paint if I don't feel like doing it. Um, whereas music, I feel like I can push myself more to like do something if I don't really want to. But painting is very different because it's, it's also like a waste of paint um, if you don't feel like doing it. <laughs> it's mm. very expensive. Well, that will be uh, one women who rock guest painting another i assume for the first time probably for the first time in a like a competition setting yeah although i could be wrong i don't know people do a lot of creative things i'm sure it's happened before but yeah i need to actually organize that again with fran i need to get her to come back to alpha right but yeah 
So that's cool. I'm trying well, to you, do that as a thing to keep myself doing it. You were certainly true to your word when we spoke last, saying that you were going to do heaps of painting. Yeah. Yeah, I really wanted, I really had the sort of um, motivation at that time to do that, which is, is good. It is time for the segment, Tell Me a Thing, where I have a list of seven topics and I ask you to choose one topic and tell us about it. The topics are musical equipment, recording equipment, poetry, Patti Smith, punk rock, death, and politics. So, Darby, can you please tell us a thing? Well, that's interesting because I feel like Patti Smith is like right in the center of all of those topics and she sort of embodies every single one of them. Sure. Um, which is awesome. <laughs> I like Patty Smith. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I think she's um, just, I've been reading her books lately. I've got a couple of her books. Um, I've got, I've got like a songwriting book of hers, which is like all of her lyrics, but then I've also bought a couple of her novels and I'm reading um, The Year of the Monkey, at the okay. moment, which she wrote, I think, two or three years ago. Mm. And I'm very much enjoying it. I'm. Um, it sort of reminds me of Bob Dylan's auto. It's not. It's not an autobiography, but it's just sort of about her travels and experience. And mm. it's um, it's poetic, but it's just so detailed, and it's sort of like her songs. Um, and I just find myself. It's the one book that I've been able to consistently keep reading. Okay. Um, How far through are you? Like a quarter. Okay. And like nothing, nothing really sort of notable happens. It's sort of just about her sort of meandering around America and um, her having conversations with this neon sign of a hotel. And it's just really funny and witty and interesting. And like her describing her breakfast and like when she's going to get up and have coffee the next day and where and exactly where she's going to have it and who's going to sit next to her. And I, I just really love that, like the detail and things. Mm. And, uh, I um I read the I read the Year of the Monkey when I was traveling when it just came out I flew oh, to America oh. well, I can't remember if it was to China or to America but it was a long flight yeah and yeah it kind of I think the further you I'm not going to give anything away but it kind of becomes a bit more ethereal as you get further through the book mm. and as I was reading it and it became more ethereal I was becoming more and more delirious from my long travels. <laughs> so yeah there was <laughs> there's like hints of that that are starting to happen like that thing that I was talking about with the sign like the hotel sign where she's like mm. having a conversation with this object and you're like yeah are you talking are you talking to yourself but it's um it just remind. it's also like I related to it a lot because that was when I was traveling as well I would sort of like talk to myself a lot in my head or like just be looking at things and getting all the detail and 
like writing down the same sorts of things. I um, yeah. Have you read Devotion? No, I haven't. I haven't. You've got to put that on the list. Okay. It's yeah. um. It's about. It was. She did that as part of a series about like why does she write? Oh, cool. I think it was the series was called Why Do I Write, and that was hers. It's only like eighty pages. It's sort of a short story. Yeah, she's uh, and it's super dark, but it's really good. Ooh. I also watched recently her um her performance for Bob. I think it was Bob Dylan's Nobel Prize um ceremony. Okay. Where she sung. Oh, which one was it? One of the songs with like 60 verses in it, which is all of them. Um, <laughs> but she, when she was performing it, she she said that, like I watched an interview of her talking about that performance and saying that she knows that song like back to front and then when she got up and sung it, she got so nervous. She just like froze and stopped singing and then she, during the performance, she like, is just visibly shaking and then apologizes to everyone and the whole orchestra like stops playing and it was but it was like the most beautiful moment because she's like patty smith like this like prolific punk um poet and then for her to be like really vulnerable in that moment with all these prestigious people and for the nobel prize but you know to be brave enough to be like actually i need to stop and start again is that okay like it was like I almost cried. <laughs> I guess it shows that famous humans are also humans. Yeah. Like she really, she was like, I just really want to do this justice. Like, can I please start again? And it was like, oh, my God. You can, please, <laughs> man. <laughs> well, we'll have to wait till next year for her to come back to Sydney. Yeah, far out. I can't, yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. Mm. That was last year, wasn't it? Well, it was supposed before. to be last year, but then... And then it was also supposed to be this year, but now it's been postponed mm. um, to next year. Okay, good. So maybe next year she'll be here. <laughs> well, I, you know, I snoozed on Bob Dylan, so I can't do that with this one. Okay. <laughs> um, Darby, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I very much uh, appreciate you talking about Patty Smith at the end, and also. Um, for Ross from Pan Pacific Grand Prix, thanks for, for joining us as well. It was really great to chat to both of you. Thank you for having me as well. Thanks for having us, Matt. It was lovely, lovely time. Women Who Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of Do As We Are 107.3.